Welcome to Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry. I'm your podcast host, Jules Taylor, coming to you from Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. The call to community ministry and chaplaincy is growing. Vocational discernment should always include gathering information. To that end, I've recorded a series on military chaplaincy. Earlier this year, I interviewed Unitarian Universalist ministers who serve as chaplains in each of the military branches and their components. Military chaplaincy is not a monolith. Each branch has its own rhythm, its own personality. In addition, there are different ways to serve. Active duty, reserve, National Guard components. This series is a 101 beginner's guide to military chaplaincy from folks who work and live this call to serve those who serve in uniform. In this episode, I'm talking reserves and National Guard with Chaplain Major David Pyle, U.S. Army Reserve. Chaplain Pyle is the Deputy Command Chaplain of the U.S. Army Reserve Sustainment Command, based out of Birmingham, Alabama. His civilian ministry is as the regional lead for the Mid-America region of the Unitarian Universalist Association. Since we're talking the reserve components, I'm going to shift from interviewer to more of a conversation partner and share my own experience serving the last nine years as a chaplain, currently with the rank of major, in the New York Air National Guard. Thank you for being with me today, David. I'm really excited to, to be able to talk with you about reserve and uh, and guard military chaplaincy. I'm happy to have this conversation too. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so let's start off. Can you tell us about kind of where you are, what you do in the world? Because there's mm-hmm. going to be multiple ways that we engage in this conversation. So let's hear about some of that complexity right at the start. Well, thank you. And that's the truth of, you know, reserve chaplain. So I'm a U.S. Army Reserve chaplain. I have been for the last 13 years. I had three years prior to that as a chaplain candidate. So 16 years all total since I became a chaplain. And and I was prior service military. I had eight years on uh, prior to becoming a chaplain back in the 90s uh, on both active duty and reserve um, as as an intelligence soldier. And then I was out for nine years, grew my hair long, joined a hippie liberal church where I'd never go back in the military. And it was mm-hmm. in seminary that the idea came up that I could that I that 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 you know I I. I knew I was called to parish ministry and to now working uh, for uh, my denomination, but mm-hmm. I, I that I could be a reserve chaplain was a thing that that really I could be with soldiers in the reserves and uh, you know be able to do that that training that's necessary to be there in case in case we need to go to deploy overseas. And so that's yeah. been um, now the last thirteen years. Um, wow. uh, I've spent a majority of that time in medical command i started off initially i started off as a civil affairs chaplain interesting um and which if you don't know is kind of the diplomats of the u.s army (laughs) um and then uh they they learned that i was qualified i had five units of clinical pastoral education and so the Mm -hmm. army figured out that i was qualified to go to army reserve medical command and spend Mm -hmm. time in the two medical deployment support commands in the army um and then for the last uh three years, almost two and a half years, um, I have been serving as uh, the deputy command chaplain for a one-star command in logistics and sustainment. So ah. the Army Reserve Sustainment Command. So ah. 
Um, in the civilian world, uh, I am um, I, I served congregations in Illinois, Michigan, and Southern California while serving as a reserve chaplain. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll talk about why serving congregations and reserve chaplaincy can be challenging. Yes. Uh, uh, but for the last, uh, gosh, eight years now, I've served as a, a denominational middle judicatory or on a regional and district district and regional staffs for mm -hmm. for congregations and. That that's worked better with my military chaplaincy, um, but I, I uh, so that's me. I live in southwestern Kentucky with my wife and two cats, and and have loved the fact that I have these complex ministries that interact with each other. And yeah, yeah. someday I would love to have just one job. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 resonates deeply with me. So I, I haven't actually done this in the in the series so far and talk about talk about my place within this world. But this is the episode, this is the podcast where I get to do that because I also hold these two worlds in my career. So I am uh, on the military side. I am an Air National Guard chaplain, which means I'm an uh, Air Force chaplain serving the National Guard component. Uh, I serve with the New York Air National Guard as in the way that uh, we'll talk, we'll get to how the how that works, uh, how the guard side works, how we belong both to a state and to the federal government, both depending on how that works. But I work uh, New York Air National Guard, and I'm a chaplain. Uh, have been there, and I've been with my unit for eight and a half, going on almost nine years uh, uh, in in that world. So that's my military side, and then. On the civilian side, I'm uh, I'm the senior director of contextual ministry at Meadville Lombard and and, uh, and faculty here. So I also have this civilian side, military side, and so I get to we get to have this conversation and really talk about both of those, how that works to hold really roles, different responsibilities, and yet some similar themes and engagement in these in these two different places at the same time. So uh, I get to be a subject and an interviewer at the same time. I'm excited. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's it's quite fascinating, the the interaction. You know, the number of people that get confused between the, the reserve and the guard. Yeah. In both, you know, I experienced it more in the Army side. But the number of people that get confused between the two is is fascinating. Yes. Um, even sometimes I've, I've met active duty service members that are really confused between the two. But, you know, as a reservist, I am not part of any state state organization or state militia. I am a national soldier under Title Ten of the U.S. Code, just like the active duty is. Uh, where, but reserves, you know, I mean, I mean, sorry, the National Guard. You have the challenge of being both involved in a state chain of command, and the funding is through different systems, yep. and and that's that's different in the reserves. And and in the Army side, a lot of people don't understand that in the Army reserves, there's no combat arms. There are no infantry units. There's no artillery units or combat uh, engineers. There is uh, the the reserves is all the support and service support elements um, meant to support the active duty. You know, our our reserve mission is to be there to support if the active duty has to deploy overseas. We're the we're the operational support to help them to do that. And so, whereas the National Guard, at least on the Army side. Has a lot of a lot of the formations are combat arms units, are additional, you know, infantry and artillery and combat engineers and special forces, and that doesn't exist in the reserves. We are medical and sustainment and and um, logistics and transportation and supply and 
you know, uh, all those kinds of things that help the that that are there to support the war the 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 warfighter, the people at the pointy end of the stick. Interesting. Yeah, and that is a difference, right? Because guard, uh, we initially belong. There are national guard from uh, states and territories have national guard units, and and as as a as an airman. Uh, who's part of the National Guard. I actually, when I am originally commissioned, I had two oaths to take, one to the state and one to the federal government, because depending on what status I'm in, I primarily work uh, going through the chain of command within the state, but then I also can be and have been uh, federalized to be working, uh, like you talked about Title 10, working for a big Air Force, as we talk about Guard and then big Air Force. So there are there are things to navigate that way. And so on the guard side, that can be things like when there are storms happening and when there's floods and you see folks in uniform going to be filling sandbags to stop floodwaters or clearing. Uh, this happens a lot since I'm a New York, uh, a New York uh, uh, airman with with the National Guard, in New York. We do a lot of snow removal. We do a lot of flooding pieces and 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 then other kinds of of engagements as well these last bunch of years but that is the state part and that stuff guard will do that the reserves can't and the active duty right. don't right that's not that's a, that's a big difference so as a guardsman we often uh are serving with and for our like neighbors and the people that we right. live in and around in addition to having a federal responsibility and a federal role on that big side for deployments and different things too. And, and for the reserves, while we don't have that, what we call defense support to civil authorities, it is part of our mission, but it's much more complicated at the national level than it is at the reserve at the, at the guard level, at the state level. But a lot of our missions, a lot of our deployments overseas, they're in direct support of active duty missions. Um, you know, the 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 overwhelming and, uh, and you know, my soldiers in, in the in logistics and in, in supply. And I'm I'm a chaplain now for the part of the Army Reserve that does contracting um, at the moment. And so so the 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 all of our missions that go overseas are in support of active duty missions across the world. Um, so it's just interesting. It's, it's a, it's a difference that a lot of people don't know between the reserves and the national guard. And it comes down to who pays the money, right? Uh, yep. the, you know, the, the yep. <laughs> for the reserves, the money comes from the national budget, right? For the right. guard, the money comes from both the national budget, but also from state budgets. So um, one of my uh, guard colleagues in the chaplaincy introduced me to what are called state active duty orders, oh, yes. which don't always get paid the same way as, no, they as don't. federal payments do. And so he he referred to them as sad orders because sometimes when you get them, you are sad. We all that is that is probably I bet that's across states because that gets discussed in my state too. Are you on sad orders? Because uh, it will cover some things, not others. Insurance, right. all there's all kinds of things that when you're on sad orders, it's not as good as when you get other kinds of orders. Because when you get federal orders, right? So yeah, oh, it's well, great. And you know another another difference is that, and this applies to the chaplaincy, um, is that uh, I've been a reservist and I have served units in Michigan, in Southern California, in New Jersey, in uh, New York State, and now in Alabama. And I never had the change between state guards. 
I was always this. I've remained a federal reservist through that whole time, and so it just makes there's a broader uh, the reserves to, for chaplains at least tends to have a broader uh, spectrum of assignment possibilities. Interesting, because you're available nationally, and right. as you go as you become more senior in the in the uh, Army Reserve Chaplain Corps, the further you end up ne- needing to travel for those positions. Um, Makes sense. So. You know, I'm I'm blessed that I right now I'm only four hours from my chapel in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. Um, so so and and the the part of the unit that I, the unit that I'm a part of is headquartered there. So interesting. And on the Air Force side, I know the reserves because I work with uh, trained with and uh, uh, Air Force Reserve chaplains as well. And that that's the the way Air Force and and Army that you're discussing the way that chaplains work in that way have similar uh, yeah. similar uh, engagements. Uh, in that way. So to to move right in then, uh, it, it's, let's talk about how the interaction, you already kind of started. We both have, you you have a civilian role, I have a civilian role, and we, we balance that. Like, how does your normal, how does your normal, I don't know, month, week, how does that, uh, <laughs> how does that tempo, as we would say, what, how's that ops tempo? How does your calendar look with this? Yeah, the the word normal is interesting. I don't know that I've had one. Um, you know, because because soldiers, you know, soldiers need the chaplain when they need the chaplain. They don't need the chaplain when the chaplain's available. And that's that's a reality of the ministry that that I found being in both is that I I've I've needed my civilian ministry to be able to understand that I have to be both all the time. That I, you know, and and what's been the blessing is my military ministries have also understood that I need to do some civilian stuff too, even if I'm in uniform and under orders at that time, mm-hmm. because both ministries need me to be available in both all the time, and that's mm-hmm. a that's just a lived reality that's been built in. So I usually do a one month. Uh, I'm sorry, I usually do a one weekend a month. Those weekends are sometimes four days. They're sometimes five days. They're sometimes two days. Um, I usually. When I was in a uh, a deployable unit, when I was in the medical command, medical deployments for commands, um, that would also include a two to three week annual training event, usually something like um, uh, going to a, a war ex a war exercise or a command and staff exercise at Fort McCoy or Hunter Liggett or somewhere like that every year um, to go do two or three weeks on active duty doing our job in a, in a, in a training environment where we're being evaluated. Um, but a lot of, but it's more than that, than those two things. It's also, um, going to other training events, doing my professional military education, mm-hmm. but it's also the, the staff meetings in that happen at 7 PM on a Thursday night for yeah. all the staff who are also reservists, some active duty, some active guard and reserve, but mostly also what we call TPU true program unit reservists mm. that have their own civilian jobs getting together at night to do the things that an active duty unit would do at 2 PM on a Wednesday, right? Sure. You know, we're doing that at 7 PM at night to go through those staff meetings and exercises and being present for that. But I will say that the thing that's most stayed with me is the text message at three in the morning, right? Yeah. It's been the the phone call that a soldier, you know, I tell my soldiers, you know, I'm available to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, text me first. Yep. Texting lets me get out of whatever meeting I'm in or whatever else is going on in my civilian ministry or my home life and center myself to be present for them. And, um, and those happen anytime. Um, they, yeah. they, they, uh, 
And because and and I'll, I'll one thing I'll say is a lot of people think military chaplains and it's maybe true on active duty I don't know that the majority of the work we do is relates to the relates to the military. But I found as a reserve chaplain, the majority of the pastoral care that I'm called on to do is about everything else. The military is the stuff that's organized that they understand that they've got. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship with their spouse. It's the mm-hmm. fact that they just got fired from their civilian job. It's the mm-hmm. fact that they that they're um, dealing with being functionally homeless. I mean, there's, 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 there's the struggles that I end up journeying with people on are often well beyond the military. They're, they're, they're human and Mm -hmm. being able to be invited into those spaces because the military is a much bigger um, uh, demographic it is a much wider yeah. and diverse part of american population than often gather in any one of our congregations yes um and my the military's been my space to be in those spaces and places in people's lives that would never have walked through the doors of one of the churches i've served absolutely um, absolutely and and the reserves even i think even more than than maybe the active duty Hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I We work similarly that way. That's interesting. We've never talked about that in particular. Yeah. yeah, the texts, and I say the same thing, always text first. If you could text first, give me a little bit. I'll be able to get back to you. I work very similarly. And uh, and with, with people all over uh, at uh, my particular unit has a, a very high ops tempo. And so depending on the time of year, I have people literally at one end of the globe to the other, depending on time zones. And so is uh, using using things like WhatsApp so that no matter where they are, they they can engage we can engage in that. That's pretty that's pretty regular. That's pretty typical. The also the way that pl- that interplay that you discussed, both the military needs to know sometimes even when I'm in uniform, I may need to step away for XYZ and the opposite. Uh, a few years ago, I was deployed when it was uh, over commencement week. Well, I was deployed for cut leading up to where at night I would go back to my room and I would be grading because I was teaching a class, right. but then it was commencement. And so I said, listen, I need this night off because I, I need to actually zoom in to be able to participate in commencement. All right, we'll work that chaps. Okay. And on the other side, uh, I listen, I got released from my, my civilian job, uh, Meadville, release me for those months to be able to go do this deployment that was unexpected and we it wasn't planned on being able to have that communication i think is key and buy in from both sides without that this is a real tough job real tough job and it's difficult for chaplains in particular because the law around this that protects most reservists and national guards uh, guardsmen to be able to you know, come back to a job after a military deployment. That law, uh, often called USERA, um, it doesn't apply to religious employers. And, and so, so what so would that mean? The, what could that mean? Yeah, it could mean that, you know, I went through an experience of this where I was serving a congregation, I won't say which one, um, and a deployment possibility came up that they really wanted me for, it would have been 18 months in, in South Korea. And um, I went to my employer, that congregation, and I said, you know, this is this is going on. And they were very clear that if I went on that deployment, I did not come back to a position, that that would be a resignation from the congregation I was serving. 
and there's no where the law would require that for for non-religious employers that I would come back to a position equivalent to the one I held before. Yes, that's not true for reservists, particularly for for chaplains, because when we we work for religious employers and because of the First Amendment, um, the the federal government cannot say to a church this you have to have this person as your minister. So. Yeah. I'm blessed that my current employer, uh, the Unitarian Universal Association, and I've made an agreement around this, that yes. um, that, that if uh, I'm deployed involuntarily, they will mm. abide by what the law would have been if it applied to them. Mm. But the agreement I made on the other side was I will not accept any voluntary deployments over two months mm. um, because they need me to be doing the job that they hired yeah. me to do. So, right. um, yeah. That's that balance, and I, I would. I also, uh, I want to mention here that it, it's been really great. Sarah Lammer, who has is in another podcast, created kind of a template, uh, or through her yeah. office with the help of uh, some of the folks, uh, subject matter experts, with that are actually living this out. A really great, I don't know, one page, two page, uh, for congregations or non-congregations but other employers of military chaplains that are doing the the either guard or reserve here's uh things to think about pieces to put in place for so that we can you can honor this service but also how do you talk to your board about this how do you talk to the congregation mm -hmm. what are the tools to to help make that work better so that you can say yes to both so that they can say yes to both recognizing that their support of of the the chaplain's ministry includes having a place to come back to right that's uh I, I'm grateful for those documents that have been created and that support that's been created on the denominational side to be able to trickle yeah. down and provide provide that guidance uh, for the organizations and, and congregations. I'm grateful for it too. It didn't exist when I was going through that experience. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I am grateful for Sarah Lambert's work around this. Yeah, it's a it's really. Uh, yeah. It makes a difference in, in lots of different ways. So uh, then, so you talked about uh, your kind of your, your tempo of, okay, could be, could be uh, a couple of weeks here. Also, I'll just give mine also the way the guard works. We have uh, weekends once a month, yeah, 10, my particular unit, we do 10, 10 months their weekends. So we still have to make up those other days. So several weekends are longer ones. And then there's additional training that happens or additional short uh, deployments. Sometime again, th those uh, state orders rather than the federal orders typically and opportunities because Again, I think this is a little bit different for guard because there's we we are engaged in so many state needs right. that are real world needs. Often that becomes uh, our real world piece around you know there's a there's a, a weather related disaster that happens. The guard is out doing that. That becomes our training, quote unquote. And training. so our valuation comes in. Yeah, it wasn't in, it wasn't in a training environment. It was a real world, but because we can show that we did X, Y, Z, that becomes our training. So that's again, also ops tempo and guard nowadays. And it's been this way, I would guess certainly longer than I've been in. We're on a regular rotation to also do deployments with active duty. And so every couple years, there's going to be a certain number of folks that get kind of picked up and sent to places all over the world in deployment uh, with in de deploying with uh, the active duty side. And that's just part of how uh, 
that's that's part of how the guard works now that I know, you know, 50 years ago, that wasn't necessarily utilized that way, but we certainly are now, which includes chaplains. So anybody thinking about being a chaplain, that is likely to be part of your, uh, your rhythm, your calendar. It's things that, that we need to be ready and prepared for even on the guard side now. Well, and you know, my, my, my optin is you know a little a little different and in some ways a little more like the guard one um that that because now i am in a deputy command chaplain position on a on a brigadier general's staff and that means for a national command and that means that a lot of my battle rhythm instead of doing that two or three weeks training every summer i now go three days here four days there seeing all of our units across the country and yep. um you know supporting uh so supporting others in in that so so it's a and I also run a lot more spreadsheets than I did before. So there's there's that. <laughs> One of the things that I think is really interesting about being a chaplain in the res- the larger reserve component, whether you're a reserve, whether you're a reservist or you're within the guard com- com- uh, structure, even on weekends like drill weekends, which for a lot of folks is their engaging you know lots of practice of things and kind of training we have a real world mission within those weekends and that our practice of what we do is actual direct care coming alongside doing doing uh the kind of work that you've already described listening to folks the every every kind of work that you do for me the civilian side work all those all those pieces all those pieces of ministry are pieces that I engage with in the military as well. Right. And that's real world. Every drill, uh, I'm doing presentations. I'm uh, talking with people. I'm doing referrals based on what a need may be, helping people find connections within the community. You talked about right the functional homelessness around the food insecurity, the relationship problems, the, the births, the deaths, um, worship, right. depending on the, on the, on the week as well. Right. Those are all pieces of it. Uh, just wearing a d- different clothes. Well, you know, and and it's it's interesting. You know, we do do a lot of the the ministry, the the being a provider of religious support, mm-hmm. right? That is something that that we do in in you know the garrison environment during a drill weekend, right? We, as you were saying, being with people and all that. But there's another aspect of the training that's important, and that is to be prepared and capable to do that same or even more intense level of religious uh, providing religious support in a in a combat environment mm-hmm. and that that's a different type of training you know how mm-hmm. how you do a memorial service or a ceremony in a garrison environment back in the states versus what you would do in a large scale combat operation environment so there is a yeah. training level that we have to be capable to be able to take that those core abilities at providing religious support and be able to do that not just during a drill weekend, but be able to do that with with the the soldiers at the pointy end of the stick during uh, during those difficult circumstances during you know the difficult circumstances of large scale combat and yeah. or of counterinsurgency operations. But there's the third piece that really has stayed with me uh, and has become more and more part of my my ministry, and that is the the advisement. That is the the being able to advise commanders, being able to advise. Um, uh, you know, uh, other members of, of, in my case, of a general staff um, on all the ways in which religion, 
morale, welfare, all of the aspects, the psychosocial aspects, affect our operations and our planning. And I have found some of the work that I've I've been most glad to have been a part of has been sitting with those commanders in very difficult decisions and being being the advisor that is there to help them parse through finding the 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 ethical answer the moral answer the the morale answer to to the many challenges that support and advisement for commanders yes and for other people and also to be in that teaching role for other chaplains and also for command staffs and mm-hmm. for so there, there's, you know, we often say that there's two roles. There's religious support and religious advisement in the army, yes. and we have to be capable of doing both. Yes. And and I and I, I love that we get to do both. I love that I still get to have that phone call with a soldier who just got yelled at by their girlfriend and sit with the commander wrestling through what to do with a soldier who just failed a drug test and yes. how you know, how, how to engage military policy in relationship to that circumstance in a way that's humane, human, and moral and ethical. So that that's, thank you for lifting up uh, those different layers and levels as well. There's the depth of leadership training that, that I think that I, I know I have received from the air force side has been really remarkable. And the other thing that I think is really fascinating, uh, it so much of it again is applicable. Then on my civilian side, the leadership training that I've I've gone through uh, with my professional military education on uh, on the military side has been really wonderful and absolutely applicable. Which I would guess a whole lot of folks within progressive and liberal uh, uh, religious circles would be very surprised <laughs> to learn that it's really on track with exactly the kind of work that we're doing. I do with congregations. I do with students that I do organizationally. There's, there, there are pieces of this, um, that, that to, to engage, like you're talking about the, um, advising command while also work and which is, which is typically right. Those are that that's higher leadership. Often there's learning how you manage up, learning how you engage down and chaplains get to do that on so many different levels, which most right. other uh, jobs, I will say for anybody listening, that's not military. Uh, those, most other jobs, we, we get to do that in ways that it doesn't exist in other places. Amen. And, and that the, and the military has a culture of the chaplain intentionally being in that role. It's, yes. It is. I will say that not all of our chaplains cover themselves in glory in trying to be in that role. And that does damage yeah. the ability for that that commander who has a chaplain who doesn't do that well um, to be able to trust future chaplains, to be able to be in that advisement and that supportive role. But the piece you said about training that's that we receive in the military that's useful in the civilian world, that is huge. I mean, especially, yeah. you know, I, I serve as a consultant for congregations, a denominational consultant for congregations and a, and a middle, middle judicatory, what we call a regional lead. And it was the Army that taught me traumatic event management. Oh yeah, and I, you know, and and I have used that with congregations going through going through difficult circumstances more often than I can count. Mm-hmm. It was most of my training in how to be a good supervisor in a work environment yes. that's yes. been trained into me by the military. Um, and you know, and and I went to a training that was on the civilian side for how to be a good supervisor. And afterwards, I went up to the person and I said, "Wow, a lot of the stuff I think I've seen before." And 
the the instructor looked at me and said, "Have you been in the military? Because we stole all this from them." Um, the the you know the, there's there's, but I will also say the pastoral care intentional counseling training that we receive in the military um has been really helpful in my becoming a more rounded pastoral care mm. uh provider um and uh the the a lot of the systems work uh, you know a lot of mm. understanding large systems and and that i that i that the military trains you in um has been really helpful in my working with congregations to be able mm. to understand the systems and dynamics happening in in congregational systems so the the I I just want to second that you know the the uh, uh there's a level at which the 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 training and the experience of serving in military ministry translates into civilian ministry. It needs some translation. Yes. But it translates into civilian ministry, and there are also some things that that you don't learn in in military ministry, especially in the reserves, because. Um, I've this is I have a chapel now, but for most of my career, I've not had a chapel in the reserves. I've done my ministry in the corners or leading a worship in a classroom or in the back of a tent or or something like that, leading chapel. Um, And so so there are some places where it doesn't translate, but a lot of the stuff is really useful. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Air Force wise, they talk about very and, and we had this discussion uh, with a couple of the on the other podcasts that uh, tends to be very chapel focused. That, well, that's on not all of the Air Force, because on the guard side, we don't have I, I don't have it. There's no building. There is nothing called a chapel. We do hold worship services every drill and. And the but the purpose for the worship service, there's a handful of people come, but that's because most of the people are only there once once a month, and so they get their religion. Those that attend worship services, they attend three weeks out of the month wherever they are at home, right? But the purpose of that is to do the training, like you're talking about. That is keeping up the training. So how when you are in a deployed environment and you're going to put together a worship service and it's happening in the back of this room or it's happening in the dining facility, that's where we do that on a regular basis it's that practice right yeah. uh there's there's something that's really uh so so you just described or we both just described in different ways some of the the usefulness the training these pieces that the military helps uh strengthen i think or broaden deepen however way it works our civilian side i also know i hear this from commanders uh not just on the chaplain side but other commanders some of the strengths that that the reserve, that the guard certainly, I would guess it's also on the reserve. One of the really cool things about that is that the all the work and the things that people do on their civilian in their civilian lives that then influence, which is wide, right. diverse, interesting, deep, that then bring that into the military environment, which really creates some fascinating innovations and expertise that you would have to build up years and years on, on a military side. But here, you know, we, we've got folks that do amazing stuff as civilians and what they, they bring all that experience. And so there's a really, there, um, there's a, it's just a really rich environment to, that it really, both pieces help strengthen broaden deepen the other side when you really engage both of them it's pretty cool it is and and you know and i'll add one other thing that's a bit more because the military chaplaincy is an intentional i don't use the word interfaith um it is an intentional pluralistic ministry 
because you are in, you're not just in an interfaith relationship with your colleagues, you are sharing the same church. You are, you know, with my Southern Baptist colleagues, with my Presbyterian colleagues, with my rabbis, with my imams, with, with all those other chaplains that I've built relationship with over the last 16 years, that, that we're not just in an interfaith relationship learning about each other. We are doing this ministry together. My current command chaplain is a Southern Baptist. He and I have known each other for 16 years. We were we were in the chaplain school together, and mm-hmm. we sat next to each other in class for mm-hmm. three months. You know, mm-hmm. um, and he he is the, being able to be in that deep of shared ministry relationship with people who have different theologies mm-hmm. has deepened my own ability to understand my own. Has sure. deepened. I, I I understand my own theology and I am better able to relate to people of theologies different than me because of the intensity of that shared ministry relationship. Yeah. And that's been a gift all through um, my military chaplaincy and it's made me a better minister. Yes. Not just a better chaplain. Yeah. I mean, what a fascinating, where else, where else, right. like, do you, like you just described, are religious leaders from such a wide and divergent and sometimes conflicting depending yeah. on right traditions have the same congregation right cuz we're all these people are there are our people that we're serving and we all right. do it we do it differently in different ways we're in relation with each other but also we are responsible for whatever the group is that we're responsible for but we have to figure out how to do that and navigate that in, in all the different complicated, exciting, generative, difficult, uh, th- there really is no place. There really is no place like it. There's, there isn't. And, and it's been, and, you know, as I've gotten a little more senior in, mm-hmm. in the, in the chaplain corps, it's even been uh, a gift to be with younger chaplains and chaplain candidates, newer chaplains mm-hmm. and chaplain candidates most often they're younger than me um uh, but with them as they're uncovering both the challenge and the gift of that mm-hmm. reality mm-hmm. and you know because i am from a progressive faith tradition i often get to be the one having that conversation with them mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as they're as they're learning what it means to be um part of a pluralistic ministry yeah that uh that really and learning to grow grow into that. I've had the the pleasure of the last couple of years to do to be in a teaching role with a, a lot of chaplain candidates. Mm-hmm. Um and the 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 gift of those conversations is something that I will always I, I, I will always carry with me. Um the just uh the you know having one chaplain candidate uh ask me a few years ago because I'm I'm getting I'm, I'm physically, you know, I jumped out of airplanes a lot. My body doesn't work the way it used to, um, uh, when I was jumped out of airplanes when I was enlisted and him looking at me one day and saying to me, sir, how much longer are you going to do this? (laughs) And and me going through the spiritual work of going, am I, am I ready to retire? Am I, Mm. am I done? And and coming to the realization that I'm not, Mm. um, you know, that was the thing that was floating around. So, I'm now in my professional military education for what the next rank would be. And we'll see, we'll see if that happens. But um, the, the, 
and I don't know that I would have ever ever have an, and he's he's an Episcopalian. He's an Episcopal priest now serving mm-hmm. on active duty as a chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know those relationships are ones that we often don't get the opportunity to build anywhere else. That's right. That's yeah. right. And again, like you said, that that training experience, how that then gives us different ways that we different opportunities, different language, different uh, texture in how we can then w- engage the civilian side of of ministry and when things come up uh it's just so much beyond this is not about interfaith dialogue this is not what this right. is and because we ha- we can't do that on the military side we've learned tools and skills and how to engage so much better differently deeper what when we do that on the civilian side as well and i've wondered whether this is true of the reserve and national guard even more than it is of the active duty because you know, in the active duty side, you, I, I imagine I've never been an active active duty chaplain, but I imagine you can really just inhabit the role of the military and that mm. military role for a chaplain. But on the reserve side, you've got a code switch. You've got to go yep. back and forth all the time between being in your civilian mil, mil, your civilian ministry role and being in your military ministry role. And yes. I've wondered if if we engage this a little deeper in the reserves. Um, Makes sense. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and, and and it brings up the issue, at least in the Army, I don't know if this is true for the National Guard, but at least in the in the reserves, Army reserves, you know, a lot of chaplains, because of some of these issues, um, the, because of the fact that our employers aren't required to abide by the law that guarantees employment for reserve and National Guard service members, if they're religious employers, um, uh, because of the challenges of code switching back and forth between civilian ministry and um, military ministry. Mm-hmm. A lot of our chaplains don't serve in ministry roles on the civilian side. A lot of our chaplains work in, you know, non, they work at a, a factory or a warehouse mm-hmm. or they are salesmen for something. They're doing something completely outside of ministry and they're expressing their ministry through the military chaplaincy alone. Mm-hmm. And and I've noticed just a, a difference in you know supervising and working with chaplains in in these two different lanes that are trying to do ministry on both sides and those that are their ministry is 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 rooted in the military side yeah well and here that that right there right this is this is language that is not as familiar denominationally to i think unitarian universalism but it is becoming more so i know i utilize it and that is bivocational ministry right. and cuz what you just described is by what we talk about is bivocational ministry and uh, so that's interesting that you're noticing that really being a, a piece on the on the Army Reserve side. I'll have to think about that and talk to more people uh, around that. Although I have, if I just think right now, just a n- number of people I know that actually, uh, I actually know a number of folks in that in that category as well. If I just slow down long enough to think about it, that's what a great, you know, again, another layer of why reserve and guard chaplaincy in terms of military chaplaincy is a whole additional opportunity, right? There's so many different ways to be a military chaplain, to serve as a military chaplain. This reserve and guard just brings new complexities, uh, opportunities, celebrations, Really fascinating. Thank you for talking with me about this. I really appreciate it. I hope we can deepen this conversation at another point. We may get we may be able to get into who knows what. I'm always welcome for for the next layer of conversation. But I think this is a good, I think this has been a good kind of a 
a little bit of a of a clue in or listen in to at least two people and how we've engaged this and experienced it. And and you know it's a it's I, I often say to my active duty colleagues that you're in a different ministry than me. Mm-hmm. You have different resources. You have different amounts of time. You have mm-hmm. different. The reserve and the National Guard chaplaincies are really a ministry that's of a different kind than the active duty. We have to be prepared to do the active duty ministry in a deployed environment, but really we're we're dealing with a different set of challenges. And and like I tell my my active duty colleagues, I do not assume I understand what being, what active duty chaplaincy is like. Mm-hmm. So please don't assume you know what reserve chaplaincy is like. There you go. So it's wonderful to have this conversation with someone else who has done that kind of ministry because we don't get to do that very often so thank you yeah i appreciate it thank you for listening many windows conversations on ministry is a production of meadville lombard theological school theme music is destination by just Thea. this episode is produced by jules taylor and as always a special thank you Tomo Hillbow.